Good evening. Our reading this evening is taken from Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 to 22, and that can be found on page 1170 of the Bibles in front of you. That's page 1170, Galatians chapter 3, and beginning at verse 15. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it, it, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Thanks so very much. We're going to pray together and ask God to help us to understand his word. Let's pray together now. Uh, Father, that may seem uh, uh, a bit dense and a bit wordy, uh, but it is your word. And we believe, Lord, that as your spirit who inspired this uh, lives in the hearts of your people, that uh, this, this can be perfectly clear. And we pray, Lord, that he may help us to understand this, your word now, and apply it to our lives, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. You remember just uh, um, what a week or so ago, there was that uh, dreadful beaching of all those whales in uh, New Zealand, on the South Island of New Zealand. And, uh, uh, and it just made me uh, think that well, there really are some, uh, some crazy laws, aren't there? Because so, apparently in the UK, if a whale beaches in the UK, uh, then the head becomes the property of the king, and the tail becomes the property of the queen. What a ridiculous law. But uh, there are other crazy laws in the world. Apparently there's one in France. It's illegal to name your pig Napoleon. <laughs> Can't imagine why that would be. Um, uh, or in Alabama in the States. Now this is ridiculous. Apparently in Alabama in the States it's illegal to be blindfolded while driving a vehicle. 
Well, of course. Uh, and uh, and, I, and I, I really don't get this one. In Ohio, it's illegal to get a fish drunk. Why would that be? Anyway, um, but uh, there are some crazy laws. But this evening, we're thinking about the law of God, anything but crazy. Altogether more serious and more relevant, as we shall see. Now, uh, we've, we've called this evening, um, we have the PowerPoint up, though. Please, thank you very much. It's just at the bottom on the menu bar at the bottom. Is the stick still in? There we are, thank you very much. So I've called this evening, uh, I will or you shall, question mark. Um, so let me explain. Uh, when folks get married here at BH, um, I always tell couples uh, there's only one thing to remember for the big day. Just one thing as we're standing just here uh, at the chancel step here. Just one thing to remember. Uh, and I will ask you a question, and, uh, uh, and then your answer is to that question, the only thing you have to remember on your wedding day is to say, I will. Easy, okay? Now, now, marriage is a very good picture. It's in the Bible. It's a very good picture of a Christian's relationship with God. Because when you become a Christian, God says, I will. I will be your God. And, uh, uh, and we say back to him, I will. I will be yours. I will be your son, your daughter. And Christianity is all about I will. It's not about you shall. So on a wedding day, so when we do the vows here, I ask the question, they say, I will. Now, strangely on a wedding day, I've never done a wedding where, uh, you know, I say, uh, so, uh, so, uh, so John, uh, uh, um, would you like to say to your wife-to-be, uh, you shall do all the washing up, you shall do all the washing, you shall be all, do all the cooking and the ironing, you shall go to Sainsbury's every week, and you shall look after the garden well. Does that happen? No, of course it doesn't. Marriage is not about you shall, and Christianity is not about you shall, and marriage is a picture of Christianity. And uh, uh, so Christianity is not, uh, uh, is, is not about you shall be a nice person, and you shall go to church, and you shall clean your teeth, and you shall help out at a night shelter. But tragically, many people think that Christianity is just about that, or else it's about you shall not. You shall not smile, you shall not have fun, you shall not ever drink anything at all, ever. You shall not enjoy yourself, and so on. Now, that is a tragic misunderstanding of what Christianity is about. Christianity begins with, I will. And it carries on with, I will. God's I will to us, God's promise to us. And so this evening, as we look at Galatians 3 and verses 15 to 22 here, I used to think that this was one of the most dense and boring and probably irrelevant passages in the New Testament. I think I was wrong, badly wrong. Uh, actually, it's hugely relevant. In fact, there's no more really for tomorrow morning, for this evening, how we're going to behave as we go home, as we drive home tonight, or, or however we're getting home tonight. There is no more practical question than the relevance of the law to the Christian life. It affects everything, absolutely everything. It really does. So um, there, here's the first, the first main point. Uh, law or promise? Law is about you shall. Here are the laws, you shall do them, okay? And uh, promise is about God's promise to us. I'll be your God. God's promise to us that if we're trusting in him, then he will give us eternal life. 
And in Galatians 3, 15 to 22, we see here God's promise. And we see also God's law, or if you like, God's rules. Now, look at verse 16. God's promise was given to Abraham around about 2000 BC, okay? A promise that God would rescue all who trust in God. The promise came first. That's actually very important, so just lodge that in our brains. The promise came first. We can read about it in Genesis chapter 12, so in verses 1 to 3 there. Uh, And then in verse 17 here, he talks about the law. The law. What I mean is, the law, introduced 430 years later, we're not quite sure 430 years after what, because Moses was a bit more than 430 years after Abraham, but maybe it was 430 years after the the patriarchal period, or um, uh, or something, uh, around about that kind of thing is what we're thinking of. Anyway, it's talking about God's Old Testament law, like, for instance, summed up in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, given through Moses. And the question is, did the law replace the promise? So God gave the promise to Abraham, and then hundreds of years later, God gave the law through Moses. question is, did God change his mind? Did he say, well, I know I've given the promise that uh, everyone's going to be okay, because I promised that if you trust in me, then you can have eternal life. But now I've got the law, because I've changed your mind. And we've got the law now, and the law says, if you do these things, if dum, 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 and you keep the Ten Commandments and, uh, and everything else, then it'll be okay. No, God did not do that. He did not replace the promise with the law. It is perfectly clear. We need the promises of God's rescue uh, for all who trust in him. And it still stands. This passage makes it absolutely clear. The promise still stands. But we also need the law of God. And what we have in the law of God is to show us how much we need the promise of God. Because the law of God shows us how hopeless we are. That we cannot actually achieve or earn or warrant our place in heaven, the kingdom of God, but by, by, by obeying law, because we can't do it. We're going to have a look at that in a bit more detail here. So, law or promise? Well, actually, the promise is fundamental. The promise is absolutely fundamental. That God promises eternal life to all who trust in him. And the law, we need it as well, because it shows us just how much we need the promise. That's why we've got the law, the law of God, to show us you can't possibly do it. Never can, never will, never have been able to. You must trust the promise. Okay? So actually, uh, the answer here is we need both. Law or promise? Well, actually, we need both of them. The law was never intended to create the possibility of a relationship with God. The promise already did that. God's law just tells us how much we need God's promise. You see, in some ways, it's a bit like the safety stuff in cars. Seatbelts. Years ago, some character called Jimmy Savile was telling us to clunk-click every trip. Do you remember that? Seatbelts came in, and you know, my dad, for instance, said, Oh, I don't need a seatbelt, I've got the steering wheel to stop me. And I thought, yes, it certainly will, Father. Thankfully, he didn't have a crash, and he did start wearing his seatbelt. But now we've got airbags too, haven't we, in most cars. Now, have airbags replaced seatbelts? No, of course not. Of course, we need both. They do different things. And I think, you know, in some ways, an airbag shows us just how much we need the seatbelt to keep your throat from the steering wheel, for instance. We need God's law, and we need God's promise. They do different things. 
Now, it's important to recognize here, uh, this um, next point, that the promise came first and it still stands. Have a look at verses 16 and 17 again. When verse 16, when it says here to Abram and his seed, and then he makes it abundantly clear that his seed is Jesus. Because that's how God's promise is kept. Because Jesus died for our sins. And when we trust his death for us, then God's promise to rescue all who trust in him comes true. It's a promise of God. So, look at verse 17 here. God guaranteed he'd keep his promise. So how and why would a law, God's law, do away with a promise? Of course it wouldn't. It can't. A promise is a promise. Actually, the technical word that's used there is actually for last will and testament. That's how strong and how firm and how clear it is. God will keep his promises. So as Martin Luther described this, God said to Abraham, I will, I will, I will. And then he said to Moses, you shall, you shall, you shall. So when you hear, I will, I will, I will, and you have that ringing in your ears, when you have, you shall, you shall, you shall, it's only just to tell us that you've got to go back to the I will because you can't possibly do all the stuff that God says when he says, you shall. The significant thing here is that God promised to Abraham first, I will, I will, I will. And it still stands. Christianity is a relationship based on promise. The promise which still stands. Do you get a bit obsessed with um, things? Do you get a bit obsessed obsessed perhaps with the way you look? Or get a bit obsessed with, um, say, good exam results? Or get a bit obsessed with the fact your mum and dad had a row last night? uh, And so on. Now, we just had to buy a new car, new to us, not, not brand new. And uh, it's quite nice. It is only a car. And, uh, and just to make sure we don't get obsessed by it, it would probably be quite helpful if we went to Tesco's in Lewis. Tesco's in Lewis is the best place for this. If you want your car dented in a car park, go to Tesco's in Lewis, okay? It's only a car, so the sooner you get a dent in your new car, the better, okay? Just to make sure you don't get obsessed with it. Now, that's exactly... We need to make sure we don't get obsessed with having to uh, to work our way to heaven. Don't get obsessed with it, but many, many people in this world do. We need to get it into our minds that we're helpless, we're hopeless, we're incapable. That's what the law is for, to show us that you can't do it. And actually you can't do it in order to stay saved which is a terrible lie. It's all to do with God's promise. And when we really get that, then this obsession with being good enough or nice enough, then it gets punctured like a pin in a balloon. Someone said, we do not experience the love of God by proving ourselves worthy of it. We discover that love as a free gift of God's grace when we're humble enough to believe his promise. So are you humble enough to believe his promise? That you trust him and he'll rescue you. You may have heard this last uh, week about this yacht there. Uh, It's in the middle of the Atlantic, been hit by a, a rogue wave that took out the mast and destroyed the rudder. 
and uh, they're about well, several hundred miles off the Azores, so they're a long way from anywhere, really. And there's quite a big swell. Though. It's not easy to see on that photo. It's quite a big swell. A cargo ship came to rescue them. It was just too dangerous to get anywhere near the yacht. They were just crushed it, most like, and possibly crushed the sailors on board the yacht. And then a Royal Naval uh, destroyer, Class 45, Type 45, is it? Destroyer, um, uh, got the distress call, and they whizzed down at uh, full speed. But they couldn't get alongside either because of the swell. And so they sent that rib over, that, uh, that little rigid inflatable boat on the right-hand side there. Uh, and they rescued the sailors. Now, if, do you think any of those sailors on the yacht, uh, as they're just in their little life raft there, that orange thing next door to the yacht, do you think any of the sailors on the yacht, when the rib came over, and they said, look, come on, jump onto us, and onto the rib, and then we'll take you to the destroyer, and you'll be safe. Do you think any of them on the yacht, in the, uh, uh, in the little rescue thing um, there by the yacht, do you think any of them said, no, it's okay, I'll take my chances in, the, uh, uh, in our little rescue dinghy here. I know we're 450 miles from land, but I'm sure the currents will take us the right way. I mean, it might take weeks, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll manage. Thanks. Okay. Do you think any of them said that? No, of course they didn't. They willingly and, and thankfully jumped on board the rib to go over to the destroyer, presumably, which is where this photograph is taken from, uh, and they were, they were rescued. You need to be humble enough to know there's no other way sometimes, don't you? And we need rescuing from a life of sin. And there's no other way of doing it. Believe the promise of God that anyone who believes, who trusts in God... In other words, that Jesus died, his saving death for us, will be rescued. We will be rescued. We will go to heaven. We will be there for eternity, praising our great God and Savior. So, why the law then? What's the point? Have a look at verse 19, beginning of verse 19. Why then was the law given at all? Well, it's crystal clear that the law was never designed to save anyone. John Stott once wrote this, Not until the law has bruised and smitten us will we admit our need of the gospel to bind up our wounds. Not until the law has arrested and imprisoned us will we pine for Christ to set us free. Not until the law has condemned and killed us will we call upon Christ for justification in life. Not until the law has driven us to despair of ourselves will we ever believe in Jesus. Not until the law has humbled us even to hell will we turn to the gospel to raise us to heaven. Now, the end of verse 19 and verse 20 are extremely difficult to understand. Apparently, there are over 300 different interpretations of verse 20. So who knows what it means in detail? But the main thrust is clear. The law was given to point us to Jesus and to our need for Jesus. That's why it's there. Now, I wonder if you could take off your socks. Well, Sam Richards is almost there, but I think I preferred if you kept them on, Sam, if that's okay. But, um, uh, no, don't, uh, don't, no need to. But, uh, um, you see, it's the evening, isn't it, lads? And, uh, you know, if you've been wearing trainers all day, actually, as Sam is, um, if you uh, take, take them off now and take your socks off, they might look fairly clean, but I'll guarantee they'll be pretty pongy, won't they? Pretty smelly, okay? Now then, 
It is the smell that gives it away that they need. I'm not saying anything about Sam's. But uh, it, is, it is the smell that gives it away that they need washing. Something has to be done. And the law acts in a similar kind of way to show us, as the smell from you know, socks that have been worn in trains all day long, but the law acts in a similar kind of way to help us to see that something needs to be done. What does it do? Well, there are three things here. I think it's three. First of all, it defines our sin. The law is given not, first of all, to tell us uh, about salvation. It's actually given us to tell about, given to tell us about our sin. It tells us what sin is. So, you know, if you, if you see, you're around, if you've got the old railway trail up towards the dike, okay, as you're getting up towards the road up to the dike, on the left-hand side, are you with me? There's a farm, I think it's called Summerfield, and there's a sign there that says private on the left-hand side. Now, um, uh, you might think it'd be nice to go in and wander around and so on. You can't. It's private. They don't want trespasses. Wrong to go in. The law defines our sin. So without that notice there, you may think, oh, we can go and have a wander around and so on. Uh, and with that notice and the barbed wire and so on, you're firmly shown that, that they don't want you to do that. It tells us the difference in right and wrong, okay? You can go up the path. It's a bridal way. You have a right to go there, but not to go into that summer field place on your left-hand side. The Ten Commandments, take that as an example. You shall not steal. It's at number eight. Have you copied an old CD to give to a friend? That's stealing. That's commandment number eight. That's sin, okay? You knit a couple of pens from work? Same thing. That's stealing. That's sin. Oh, I wish I had her figure, or I wish I had his trainers. That's coveting. That's number ten on the commandments. That's sinful as well. Sleeping with someone else's wife, that's called adultery. That's commandment number seven, and that's sinful. Thinking of sleeping with someone else's wife, well, Jesus said that was adultery too. That's also commandment number seven, and that's sinful. Now you're thinking horrible thoughts about me pointing it out, right? So that's commandment number six, according to Jesus, uh, and that's sinful too. You see, the law defines our sin. It tells us what's right and what's wrong. Okay? Second thing, the law exposes our sin. The law exposes our sin. It's just done it, I perhaps, um, pointing out to us what our sin is. No one's ever kept the law of God. We're sinners, and we break the law of God every day. As Martin Luther again said, the principal point of the law is to make men not better, but worse. Because we realize how bad we are. That's what he meant. So we realize how much we need God's promise, that he's promising us life for all who trust in him. God's promise to rescue those who believe, who trust in him. And then here's another one. The law not just defines and exposes our sin, but it restrains our sin, at least to an extent. So you see the sign, Summerfield, going up on the old railway trail up to the dike, and you see private, no trespassing, and uh, you think, oh, I won't go in there after all. Or actually, some of us might think, well, I will go in there. But, uh, but generally speaking, most of us would say, no, we wouldn't. It restrains our sin. And then the fourth one here is the law reveals our helplessness in the face of sin. Someone said, we're deeply sinful, self-serving, guilty, under God's judgment, and unable to rescue ourselves. Only then will we be desperate enough to trust God's promise. And the law of God shows us that. 
The law of God is there to make us aware of our sin and our need for a saviour. We're in a hole. A hole of our own making. And we can't get out of it. That's what the law shows us. As it says in verse 21, is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture's locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given, who to? To those who believe. Therefore, very briefly, first, you're a sinner, and so am I. Look at verse 19. Your transgressions. The law, it shows me I'm a sinner. Shows me the laws I break every day. Shows me that when I take 11 items through the 10 or less uh, checkout, I'm a sinner. Shows me when I book a table at a restaurant and they don't turn up, I'm a sinner. Shows me when I fold all the sweaters in Primark and then leave them there, I'm a sinner. Shows me that all those more serious things too, which uh, I try to turn my back on, shows me I'm a sinner. So are you. Tells me next, I need a saviour. Look at the end of verse 22 there. I need a saviour. I cannot rescue myself. I need a rescuer. And the wonderful news is this. Not just I need a saviour. It tells me I've got one. And it's called Jesus. That is the fantastic news of Christianity being given at the end of verse 22 through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Jesus has been given as our saviour. You've uh, probably seen these things on the back of cars. It's a Christian fish. It was an early symbol of Christianity. Um, It means, it's ichthus. uh, Greek letters there, but it's ichthus. Jesus Christ, God's or. God's Son, Saviour. That's what it means. Jesus Christ, God's Son, Saviour. The promise came to Abraham 2000 BC, 4000 years ago, that God would rescue all who trust in him. The law was given to tell us we can't do it and we need a Saviour. The law was given to show us our desperate need of Jesus Christ, God's Son, Saviour. And he's come, and he's died for us. And if we trust him, he will rescue us. He will save us. So Christianity, is it I will or you shall? Well, you could sum it up like this. God's saying you shall, but you can't. I will. I will. I will. I will save, I will rescue everyone who puts their trust in me. Everyone. Even you. If you want to put your trust in Jesus tonight, come and see me afterwards. Come and see Daniel afterwards. Or ask someone here who you know is a Christian and who you might like to pray with, would love to help you. Just say a simple prayer to put your hands, your life in the hands of Jesus, the one who came 
because God said, I will rescue everyone who puts their trust in me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the wonderful promise that we have that you will rescue everyone who puts their trust in you. Lord, if we're Christians tonight, we want to say thank you so much for that day when we did that. That is the most wonderful news. And Lord, thank you for our salvation. We're thinking about it tonight, Lord. We pray that you would help us to... uh, get clear in our minds but also to know that there must come a time when we say Lord this is for me Lord thank you that we have the law to show us how much we need you and we pray Lord we may turn to you daily in thankfulness and for your forgiveness And having begun the Christian life, Lord, we would rejoice in this wonderful, wonderful promise. In Jesus' name, amen.